0: Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. But today, across all campuses, we're starting a new series called Ready and Willing. It's a great title and it's it's about our favourite subject. It's our favourite subject of all. This subject is everyone's favourite subject and it's on the subject of obedience. I knew you'd love it, it's just amazing. I mean, you woke up tomorrow and said, I hope our pastor speaks on obedience. I just love that topic, it's my favourite. Uh, You can can have your prosperity gospel, I want the (laughs) obedience gospel. Such is Life Adelaide, We're, we're built different. We're built different here. We love the thought of obedience, don't we? Can I get an amen? (laughs) Woo, come on. Fantastic. And so to kick our series off, I wanna go way, way back to the very beginning of time as we know it. And this passage of Scripture is found in the first book in the Bible, Genesis. And if you turn to Genesis with me, chapter two, I wanna read from verse 15. You can follow on the screens or turn to your device or like Pastor Dan, open your old school paper Bible, which can be really hard to read with the lights being so dim, but good (laughs) luck to you. Fantastic. Genesis chapter two, verse 15 says this, The Lord God took man, that is Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. In case some of you are wanting a starting point to know how to read your bible for me the best way to read your bible is open it yeah. come on, come on. <laughs> always a good start <laughs> secondly turn off social media that will also help but open your bible and read a passage stop and ask what you've just read some questions yeah. Yeah. so as i've read 3 verses I stop and I ask myself this question. And it's a question maybe you haven't directly asked, but when I've asked it of myself and share it with you this morning, you think, yeah, it's a pretty good question. And this is the question I ask. If God really loved us and doesn't want to see us fail, why the heck would He put that tree in the garden in the first place? I mean If that tree wasn't there, it's happy days. Are you with me? Please tell me I'm not the only person who's ever asked the Bible that question. I'm like, God, you're like, it's good, it's good, it's good. I create this, it's good. Everything He creates is good. Then He puts this stupid tree (laughs) that causes the downfall of humanity, which had it not been there, we wouldn't have had the downfall of humanity as we know it. Fair question. So why does a God of love put that tree in the garden? And and the weird thing about this tree, it's not in some obscure place. It's not like you've got to go through the desert over glass to get to this tree. (laughs) It's right smack bang in the centre of the garden, right next to the tree of life. I mean, it's like it's every day, it's just there staring at you. (laughs) It's just there. The one thing you can't touch is just there the whole time. Not in some obscure place, but up front and centre. And again, I ask myself the question, if God is a God of love and He wants us to succeed and He doesn't want us to fail, why the heck would He put that tree in the garden and why would He put it in the centre of the garden? Yeah? Am I in a company of people who think the same? Well, here's here's my best answer to that question. Why would He do something like that? Because true love, everyone say true love, has to be a choice. For love to be true love, you have to be able to choose it or reject it. Otherwise, it's not love at all. See, contrary to popular belief, God does not want robots. God does not want us just doing as we're told because we have to do as we're told. His love is so big, so vast, so great, so deep, so wide for us that He gave us a gift that He never gave any other form of creation. And that's the gift of free will. We are not of the animal kingdom that does not have a choice. We have a choice. We have a choice to choose God or to reject God. How do I know God loves me? Because He gave me that choice. You think about anyone who creates something. They create it to benefit them. You think about the creator of the Apple products that was to help us and and, and, and to do as it's told. We don't want something that's gonna talk back to us. We don't create robots to talk back to us and choose. We want a robot to do the work for us, not to choose whether they wanna work or not. No one creates a robot for that purpose. Mm. But God is unlike us. And He creates us the pinnacle of all creation. And says, I'm gonna give them the ability to choose me or not. Because anything less is not love. This is how I know God loves me. That there are people today who choose not to love Him. That is love. That is a love that you and I, in our natural sense, struggle with. See, true love can't exist without choice. God has given us this incredible gift, the gift of free will. He said to Adam, you are free to eat from any tree you want, except one. That's not control. That's not manipulation. I mean, you can eat from any tree. That's freedom. And God wants you and I to live in freedom as He wanted Adam to live in freedom, to be free to make good choices. And if you so desire, to make Bad choices. This is the incredible God we serve. And the evidence of how true our love is or not is seen in the choices that we make. John chapter 14, verse 15 says it this way If you love me, you will obey what I command. I'm not sure of how many of you are familiar with the term love. Languages, anyone out there, you're familiar with that term? Well, it's a language that communicates just how we like to be loved. Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book about it called The Five Love Languages. Some of you would be aware of that. We have the words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving of gifts, quality time, and physical touch. These are five love languages that would describe every one of us to some degree and how we love to be loved and to give love. And so you might wanna think for a moment what you are, but I know for my wife, she's definitely an acts of service girl. She will serve anyone and give anyone their time and help them in any way, shape or form. Do we have any acts of service lovers out there? They're all out there just refreshing and cleaning, and they're not in here listening to me. they they just, just out there serving. Serving in the kids, serving the car park, serving in the cafe, cleaning those toilets, amen. But for me, I, I'm a words of affirmation guy. Any words of affirmation people out there? Maybe touch people. Touch people, yes. Fantastic. Awesome, awesome quality time people. And, and the ways that we love. To be loved, And it helps us to know how to communicate to people and how we like to be communicated too. And as important as it is in discovering your love language, it's equally important to discover the love language of those yeah. around us. Yeah. Healthy, happy relationships embrace the love language of the other people in their life, not just the way that they love yeah. to be loved. Me knowing that Kath's love language is acts of service and mine is words of affirmation helps me to have a healthy, happy relationship. And the way we have a healthy, happy relationship is not me loving her the way I wanna be loved. I can tell her I love her all the days of my life and and, and that will benefit her to some measure. But unless her tank is full, according to her love language, and I offer acts of service, she'll never feel truly loved. And so... I need to be obedient to her love language in order to show true love. Vice versa. She can serve me all she wants, but unless she crosses over and loves me how I like to be loved, and that's words of affirmation, then it's gonna be detrimental. So she has to be obedient to my love language. Does that make sense? And so according to Scripture, we see that God, has a love language, and this may be news to you, but God's love language is obedience. Yeah. If we wanna love God according to His love language, then we need to love Him according to what His love language is, and that is obedience. It's not enough just to say, I love you, God. It's not enough mean to say, I love Kath, but just continue to love her as I wanna be loved. That's selfish. Yeah. But for me to truly love her, I would need to be obedient to her love language. And for us to truly love God, we would need to be true to His love language. What is His love language? His love language is obedience. Our relationship with God is only as healthy as our obedience to Him. I'll say that again, our relationship with God is only as healthy as our obedience to Him. If you've been a Christian for a long period of time, I'm sure you would say, I want a healthy relationship with God. Well, it will only be as healthy as we are obedient. And that's true of every relationship that we have. You can't say, I love your Lord, then do your own thing, expect Him to be happy with it. Healthy, mature relationships don't work that way. How healthy would a family be if you hardly ever came home? You only came home when you wanted something, or you only spoke when you wanted something. Yet that's how many people treat God. They go to church when It suits them. They don't tithe, they don't serve, they don't give. I've said this many times before, but God's love is unconditional, but being in relationship with Him is not. God loves us unconditionally. If I can speak to some of the parents here, you know that love you have for your children, you love them no matter what they do, but the depth and the reality of your relationship with them determines what they do or not. And so it is with our relationship with God. See, Jesus understood this. His love for the Father was expressed in His obedience. How do we know that Jesus loved the Father? Because of what He did. In John 15 verse nine, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. He says this, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love. How do we know Jesus loved the Father? Because of His obedience to the Father. It wasn't just what He said, it was ultimately what He did. Another scripture said that Jesus only ever did what He saw His Father doing. Jesus understood freedom more than any other person who's ever walked the planet and yet He never did His own thing. He was always under the directive of the Father. When He was in the Garden of Gethsemane and He was sweating droplets of blood and He was facing that moment of crucifixion, the time to fulfil the purpose for which He came, He said, Father, if this cup can be removed from Me, yet not My will, but Yours be done. That's obedience. And that obedience came from a deep saturated love for the Father and love for humanity. See, the greatest motivator for obedience is love. Are you following all this this morning? Is that making sense? Fantastic. The evidence of how true our love is, is seen in the choices that we make. The choices we make are a matter of obedience. You see, obedience is a choice. Obedience is the result of good choices and obedience is the evidence of our love. Sadly, we don't always make the best choices. I think I'm speaking to everyone, including myself on that one. You see, what I know about most people, and I think I can speak about most people in this room today, is that we don't set out to be a disobedient. I imagine most of you this morning did not wake up and think, I can't wait to be disobedient today. I imagine when most of you who are Christians in this place today put up your hand and said, Jesus, I love you, I wanna serve you all my days. You didn't think, "Ah, but I'm gonna be disobedient. No, that's not our desire. And so can I extend you grace? As I like to be extended grace. I know for me, it's not my desire. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with this. In Romans he says, why is it that I do what I don't wanna do? And what I wanna do, guess what? I don't do that. If Paul, the great apostle, probably the greatest apostle ever to walk this earth outside of Jesus Himself, struggled in this area, because I find myself, I don't wanna be disobedient, but I find myself being disobedient. So, So what is that all about? And how can we deal with it and address it this morning? See, what I find is the heart is willing but we're not always ready. And I wanna look at and talk about some things that open the door to disobedience, using Adam and Eve as a case study, not to judge them. We're not here to point the finger at Bible examples. Because many of these Bible (laughs) examples, we're gonna see in heaven. And what I don't wanna do when I get to heaven, is have this long line of people who have an issue with me. You say, hey, oh, I, got a word. I got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> Sunday after Sunday, you had to go at me and you had to go at him. I don't want to be that guy. And I hope you don't either. But I do believe that these characters, these people are in the Bible for us to learn. Yeah. Yeah. We can learn from their good, bad, and their ugly. Yeah. And we're not judging them. We're just trying to say, help us, Lord. Yeah. Help us to learn from. Yeah. The example, be it good or bad, of men and women that have gone before us. Does that make sense this morning? Why? So that we can be ready and willing, hence the title of this series. I wanna be ready and willing to be obedient to God when He asks me to do something, amen? In this come follow me year of discipleship. So what opened the door to their disobedience? I wanna look at just three things. I'm sure there's more, but for the sake of time, let's look at three things and sit in those three things and hopefully we can learn something for ourselves as to what opens the door to disobedience, not only in Adam and Eve's life, but also in ours. And I want to be upfront and honest, full disclosure, I've struggled with all three of these areas. So I'm not standing up here as a preacher telling the congregation off. I'm saying, I'm in this journey with you and I've struggled with all of these things and I've found the victory comes when we surrender to all of these three things. Yeah. And so the first one is simply this, we see the first thing that opens the door to disobedience is a lack of Lordship. From Genesis chapter two, verses four to 22, God is addressed as Lord. You'll read, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. In those few verses, 12 times, God is addressed as Lord God. Now let's read chapter three, verse one and see how the serpent, the enemy, Satan responds to God and how he addresses him. Genesis chapter three, verse one says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden?" There it is. When the serpent addressed God, he didn't address Him as Lord God, as we'd read previously 12 times. The serpent conveniently leaves out the word Lord and just refers to Him as God, which tells me something that the enemy is happy for you to have a God. He's happy for you to go to a church and read a Bible and do all those godly things. He just doesn't want you to make Him Lord. Why? Because the serpent Himself was once an archangel that resided in heaven with God. And while he could never deny who God was, Satan did not like the idea of God being Lord. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, it says, you said in your heart, now this is addressing Satan's attitude and Satan's thoughts and Satan's words. Satan himself said, I will ascend to the heavens. I will rise, raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the cloud. And here's a telling passage of this Scripture. I will make myself like the Most High God. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Do you know what made the devil the devil? Pride. Pride. And it was his pride that wanted to be like God. It was his pride that made him want to be like God. He wanted God, but he wanted God on his terms. You see, Lordship is a matter of surrender. Yeah, yeah. It's a surrender issue. Yeah. We've heard a lot about that more recently. So we need to surrender our agenda. Yeah. Satan had an agenda. What was it? He wanted to be like God. Adam and Eve had an agenda. They wanted to be like God. Yeah. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, we read, You will not certainly die. This is the serpent speaking to Adam and Eve. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. The thought of being like God is pretty powerful. And for Adam and Eve, they're saying, well, I wanna be like God. I wanna be Lord and Master of my own life. That's where the problems are. We wanna do what we wanna do when we wanna do it. And if we don't wanna do it, we don't do it. And if we don't wanna do it at a certain time, we don't do it at that time. That's the problem with the world today. We wanna do our own thing in our own time. And what we're really saying, let me put new language to that. We wanna be Lord and Master of our own life. We're happy to have God to pray to when we're hurting, when we need healing, when we want money but I don't want Him interfering with my plans, my dreams, my family, my schedule. I want to be God of my life. Am I talking about people? I've had to struggle with this. I've got to be honest with you, I don't like doing what I don't want to do. I don't like doing it at a time I don't like. And I've learned one thing over the years, you've just got to surrender your agenda. And if you don't, it doesn't get any better for you. Because I believe like Adam and Eve, we all have a little bit of that in us. This desire to be like God, to be Lord and Master of our own lives. Am I speaking to the right people today? And when we choose that route, it opens the door to disobedience. Secondly, not only was it a lack of lordship that opened the door to their disobedience, but also a lack of leadership. One of the great needs today is the need to lead. See, Adam didn't lead that situation very well at all. Adam didn't lead his wife very well at all. In actual fact, Adam didn't even lead himself in that moment very well at all. Can I just say, some of you in this room might not think of yourself as a leader, but can I just help you understand something? That you are. Because at bare minimum, you are a leader of one. And that one is you. We have a responsibility to lead ourselves. We look at Adam's life a little bit more closely, and we see that his lack of leadership was seen in the fact that Adam offered no protection. As a husband to his wife, he offered no protection of her and for her. It says he let the serpent speak to his wife. Now, when God gave the command in the Garden of Eden, it was before Eve was even created, it was God who spoke to Adam. And because the serpent, the Bible says, was craftier, he spoke to the one who never received the revelation directly from God. Adam should have in that moment stopped him from addressing his wife because his wife never received the revelation directly from God, number one. And two, as a husband, you don't just let anyone speak to your wife. He offered no protection of her. He abdicated his authority as a husband in that moment. Yeah. Not only that, Adam took no responsibility. Not only did he not protect his wife, but when it all went pear-shaped and they did the act of disobedience and God comes and speaks, Adam's response was to throw his wife under the bus. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 11, says, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. He blamed his wife. All the men are really quiet. That is not a good point to write down. Great idea. It's not a great idea. Don't write that down as a thing to do. That's a thing not to do. Sean, when you get married, don't do that. It will not go well for you. Can you imagine Eve thinking, are you kidding me? And he throws his wife under the bus. He's not showing any leadership. Not only that, he showed no wisdom. He offered no protection, took no responsibility and he showed no wisdom. In Genesis chapter 3, verse six, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit from the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Why did they eat it? Because it looked good. It looked -um (laughs) scrumdiddly I don't know why I said that. Just look delicious. Yeah. Just because something looks good, it doesn't mean it's good for you. Yeah. We need wisdom. Adam offered no protection, took no responsibility, and he showed no wisdom. There's lots of great things in this world. They're just not always great for you. Kath and I have come off the back of four weeks holiday. It was amazing. We had a great time. And most of that time we were away overseas this holiday. And then we came back and I decided to make a decision, a pretty big decision, a decision that does have consequences. But, but I, I weighed it all up. And when I think about it, even now as I think about it, I can say amen to everything I'm about to say. It was a good decision in the context of where we're at in life. It was a good financial decision based upon the fact that we could afford it. It was a good decision based upon a lot of things going on in my world right now. And so I made a decision based upon all these good things and felt quite good about it until I signed something. Thankfully, I had a calling off period. And in the courting off period, all I can tell you is I had zero to no peace. Now, I'm not talking about making a stupid decision yeah. that when you look at it, and think, well, why would you do that? There's no way you could afford that. There's no way you could do that. I'm not talking about one of those decisions, those obvious like just stupid decisions. I'm talking about good, 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 all good decisions. The only problem with my all good decision, I had zero peace. You know when you say, good night, honey. And at that moment, I I mean, normally I just go straight to sleep. I'm that guy. That's the one who lays around thinking about things. But I'm the guy, when I go to sleep, when I go to bed, I, I just fall asleep. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> but on these two nights, I'm like, night, honey. <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought that a good decision was a bad decision for me? And then I had to take the lead, make a phone call, and get out of what I got into in the first place. I just played the contract card because I didn't have time to explain, you got to say, God's on my case. I just didn't have that. If you were to ask me, how did I feel after that? I just felt peace. I just felt peace. Now, I know that that decision, 10 other people could have done it and it would have be okay. It just wasn't okay for me. And so what did I do? You have to surrender your agenda. You have to bring some leadership. And that night, oh boy, I made up for two nights lost sleep. (laughs) I just crashed. It was the best thing ever. And I have not looked back on that decision to pull out of the previous decision that I'd made. I thank God that there's a God who loves me enough to speak to me that personally. And I trust you fall in love with God in that way too. And the last one, as the band come back up, is simply this. We're talking about closing the door to disobedience. We're talking about what opened the door to disobedience to Adam and Eve's life. And not only was it a lack of lordship, a lack of leadership, but also a lack of love. I have another question for you. Again, this is how I read the Bible. Question. Was this tree The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Was this tree the only tree pleasing to the eye in the garden? The answer is no. We read, as we've already read in Genesis chapter 2, verse nine, the Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We see that according to Scripture, every tree that God created was pleasing to the eye yeah. and was good for food. In other words, it wasn't like there was this one tree in the garden that had good fruit, everything else had bad fruit, so they were starving, so they had to be disobedient. Yeah. They could have eaten of any tree. Yeah. And like I said before, all the tree had scrumdiddly fruit <laughs> on it. But here's what the enemy does. He wants to make you miss all the blessings around you. He wants you to focus on the one thing you can't have. And what I've learnt in my life, when you start looking at that one thing you can't have long enough, that's what you desire. And it comes at the expense of all the other incredible things going on in your world. All these attractions. Do you know the problem with attractions? They become distractions. You know, I, I love my wife. I think she's beautiful. I really do. But let's be honest, there are other beautiful women in the world. There are other attractive women in the world. I just don't wanna focus on them because that will become a distraction to the relationship that I'm building with her. I hope the home you live in, you like. I hope the home you live in, you learn to love. Yeah, I know there's probably bigger and better homes than the one you're living in. But if you focus on all those other attractive homes, that attraction will become your distraction. And you'll never get to appreciate and fully appreciate what it is you have. We are blessed in this country. Woke up to the news this morning that in Morocco, there was at least a thousand people who've been killed in an earthquake. We don't have problems like that today. Yeah. Let's not allow all these alternatives to become the thing that distract us. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've learned is that what we love first over time becomes what we love less if we're not careful. And to overcome that, we need to come back to our first love. In Revelation, chapter 2, verse 1 says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, This was a problem in Ephesus. I dare say it's a problem here in Adelaide. Yeah. Can I be even more specific? At Life Adelaide says these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks around with the seven gold lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. Well done you, added that bit. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. You've found them to be false. You've persevered, you've endured hardships, For my name, you've not grown weary. Awesome. Again, well done. Yet, verse four, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Is that not what the serpent, Satan himself had done? He fell from heaven. Losing your first love will cause you to fall. Consider how far you have fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. You know, there's Christians today that aren't tithing, but you know what? If you go back to when you first got saved, you used to. There are Christians today that used to serve but don't anymore. There's some of you used to go to church every Sunday, but we don't do that anymore. And I, along with the writer of The book of Revelation wanna encourage us slash challenge us with this thought. Consider how far you've fallen. Consider how far we've drifted. And do not beat yourself up. Do not be guilt-ridden, but use it as motivation to come back to your first love. And not only your first love, that will cause us to come back to our first responses, our first actions. Thanks for listening to this podcast.